Blog Talk Radio. Baker, a giant of the civil rights movement, left us with this wisdom. Give people light, and they will find the way. Give people light. Those are words for our time. The current president has cloaked American darkness for much too long. Too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together and make no mistake. United, we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. But while I'll be a Democratic candidate, I will be an American president. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me, as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. That's the job of a president, to represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love, hope for our future, light to see our way forward, and love for one another. America isn't just a collection of clashing interests of red states or blue states. We're so much bigger than that. We're so much better than that. You know, nearly a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt pledged a new deal in a time of massive unemployment, uncertainty, and fear. Stricken by a disease, stricken by a virus, 
FDR insisted that he would recover and prevail, and he believed America could as well. And he did, and we can as well. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. Winning it for the generous among us, not the selfish. Winning it for workers who keep this country going, not just the privileged few at the top. Winning it for those communities who have known the injustice of a knee on the neck. For all the young people who have known only America being rising inequity and shrinking opportunity, they deserve the experience of America's promise. They deserve to experience it in full. You know, no generation ever knows what history will ask of it. All we can ever know is whether we're ready when that moment arrives. And now history has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America has ever faced. Four, four historic crises, all at the same time. A perfect storm, the worst pandemic in over 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s, and the undeniable realities and just the accelerating threats of climate change. So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? I believe we are. We must be. You know, all elections are important. But we know in our bones this one is more consequential. As many have said, America is at an inflection point, a time of real peril, but also of extraordinary possibilities. We can choose a path of becoming angrier, less hopeful, more divided, a path of shadow and suspicion, or, or we can choose a different path and together,
This is the Dollamore Daily, and I'm Jesse Dollamore. This just broke. Only hours ago, last evening, the New York Times is reporting that they have in their possession about two decades' worth of Donald Trump's long-concealed tax information. And further, there are details in here that would sink any other sitting president. We'll see how it works with Donald Trump, but I don't know how he's going to avoid utter destruction, utter legal ramifications from this. First, let me say this about the New York Times reporting. Because Donald Trump already, I was going to play clips, I waited for the news conference. Uh, he's already claiming, it's fake news, it's fake news. Just like he does with everything else that ends up being absolutely true. And Donald Trump could put an end to all of this, all of the speculation, by just releasing the tax returns. He's not doing so for a very specific reason, and that is the fact that he is guilty that he is a liar and a grifter and a fraudster and an unpatriotic scumbag who is avoiding paying taxes for decades. And the amount that he does end up paying sometimes is comically, tragically low. Donald Trump's candidacy, let's start here. Donald Trump's candidacy in 2015 was predicated on the notion that he's very rich. Remember this moment? Because I don't need anybody's money. It's nice. I don't need anybody's money. I'm using my own money. I'm not using the lobbyists. I'm not using donors. I don't care. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. And by the way, I'm not even saying that in a brag. That's the kind of mindset, that's the kind of thinking you need for this country. His entire campaign and candidacy was based on the fact that he's very rich, that he would run the country like one of his businesses, his wildly successful businesses. And in large measure, he got unsuspecting, gullible, naive people he believes to be rubes to vote for him, because they are under the misapprehension that the government should be run like a business. And who else to run that, that, that government-slash-business than a wildly successful, genius businessman? And now we're learning, as a matter of fact, not speculation, that that is just not true, that he is, he is losing hundreds of millions of dollars year over year over year because of his failing businesses, because of his stupidity about running a business. Further, let me say this. Hillary Clinton, for all her faults, was right about this. Remember that moment in September of 2016? She called it. Here it is, if you don't remember. Well, I think you've just seen another example of bait and switch here. Um, 
for 40 years, everyone running for president has released their tax returns. You can go and see nearly, I think, 39, 40 years of our tax returns, but everyone has done it. We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that he owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes, because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. And I think probably he's not uh, all that enthusiastic about having the rest of our country see uh, what the real reasons are, because it must be something really important, even terrible, that he's trying to hide. And that's something you're going to hear, that little quip of his in there. It makes me smart. It doesn't make you smart, Donald Trump. It makes you a liar and a cheat and a fraud and a scumbag who doesn't care about funding the military you claim to love, about funding the country you claim to want to lead because of deep patriotism, you patriot. Let's get to some of this New York Times reporting. Mr. Trump paid no federal income taxes in 11 of 18 years that the Times examined. In 2017, after he became president, his tax bill was only $750. Now, before I move on, let me say this. You can take this reporting to the bank, because the New York Times isn't going to go to print with this unless their legal department and their executive ranks absolutely clear this. This isn't the, the impetuous move of three reporters to just go to press with this. You don't make an accusation like this. You don't reveal details like this if they are not 100% secure. So in 2016 and 2017, billionaire Donald Trump, I'm really rich, Donald Trump, paid $750 in income taxes for those individual years. Think about what you pay in income tax. Think about the hardworking people out there. The small business owners in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, the Rust Belt, all, all over what people call flyover country, who fly Trump flags in their front yard out of some odd cultish devotion to him because they believe he loves America. They believe he loves this country and her people. He does not. He cares about himself. $750 for each year for a billionaire? 
even if he's not a billionaire, he's a millionaire, that is a problem. Because he's not helping to fund the country, to pay to pave the roads, to rebuild the bridges, to do all of the things that we pitch in with our tax, tax dollars. He's shirking his duty as a patriotic American. And instead, it's all a show. It's all a game. Instead, he literally hugs the flag like a monster. How does he get out of this? How will he politically be able to extricate himself from this insane story that has just began to be reported. It just, just, this is the beginning. We don't even have the specific figures and details that will surely come out. He has reduced his tax bill with questionable measures, including a $72.9 million tax refund that is the subject of an audit by the Internal Revenue Service. This is by reporting losses. This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. He claims to be a genius in business. Very successful. I'm very rich. I got a very stable genius brain. I know all the best words. I run fantastic clubs all over the world. Yet, in order to get a $73 million tax return, he's claiming massive losses at these companies and these businesses that he claims to be wildly successful. So one of two things is happening. Either he is a liar and a grifter and a scumbag who hates his country and doesn't care to fund the country to build its bridges and its roads, or he's a failure of a businessman, an idiot, who can't run a golf club, and they're losing money hand over fist. There's no other option. It's one of those two things. He's either lying and cheating in a fraudulent manner on his tax returns, which is a federal crime, or he's really losing money because he's a dummy. The picture that perhaps emerges most starkly from the mountain of figures and tax schedules prepared by Mr. Trump's accountants is of a businessman president and a tightening financial vice. Most of Mr. Trump's core enterprises, from his constellation of golf courses to his conservative magnate hotel in Washington, report losing millions, if not tens of millions of dollars, year after year. And within the next four years, more than $300 million in loans, obligations for which he is personally responsible, will come due. So he's on the hook to banks and possibly private loans that he is going to owe. And it puts these businesses, these banks, and these lenders in a very precarious position if he is to win re-election. That how are they going to default him on his loans or require that that money be paid back of a sitting United States president who owes, who owes almost a third of a billion dollars, personally owes a third of a billion dollars. That's tough. 
that is what we call a conflict of interest. Because as president, he controls policies, banking policies, lending policies that would directly affect these businesses to whom he owes money. The financial pressure on him is increasing as hundreds of millions of dollars in loans he personally guaranteed are coming due. His revenue from The Apprentice and from licensing deals is drying up. And several years ago, he sold nearly all the stocks that now might have helped him plug holes in his struggling properties. The tax audit looms. He's not in good straits. And this is exactly why all the reasons that Hillary Clinton listed in 2016, just about four years ago, all of those reasons, there is a modicum of accuracy in every single one. There's a certain percentage assigned to those, certain, those, those reasons of why he's not releasing his tax returns that add up to that 100%. Even while declaring losses, he has managed to enjoy a lavish lifestyle by taking tax deductions on what most people would consider personal expenses, including residences, aircraft, and $70,000 in hairstyling for television. <laughs> that mop is costing $70,000 worth of tax deductions. <laughs> If anybody's getting ripped off, maybe it's not the American people. Maybe it's Donald Trump if he's actually paying 70 grand to have that thing quaffed on top of his dome. As
Now, the U.S. leads the world in coronavirus cases by a lot. The U.S. is just over 4% of the world's population, yet represents 31% total cases. And the president somehow thinks that's a good thing. When we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far few cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. It's a great tribute to the testing and all of the work that a lot of professionals have done. I mean, aside from the fact that most believe that this president has botched this crisis from the get-go, and this will be known in history worldwide as a human catastrophe that he could have prevented. Um, and he's trying to deflect at all times. And Willie and Mike, he's uh, tweeting again all sorts of crazy things. Uh, once again, uh, tweeting conspiracy theories about Joe, falsely accusing him of murder, talking about the death of a young staffer in his congressional office years ago and calling him dangerous to walk the streets. And I'll just say, I'll take a point of personal privilege here. That's sick. Donald, you're a sick person. You're a sick person. To put this family through this, to put her husband through this, to do this just because you're mad at Joe because Joe got you again today, because he speaks the truth and he speaks plainly about your lack of interest and empathy in others, and your lack of ability to handle this massive human catastrophe, the fact that you've made it worse, and that you make it worse every day, and that you won't even wear a mask to protect people from your germs. But the germs you're spreading on Twitter, first of all, Twitter, you shouldn't be allowing this, and you should be taking these tweets down, and you should be ashamed of yourself. You'll be hearing from me on this, because this is BS. But Donald, you're a sick person. You're really a cruel, sick, disgusting person and you can keep tweeting about joe but you're just hurting other people and of course you're hurting yourself willie what are thanks for checking out msnbc on youtube and make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on the day's biggest story
Good evening, everyone. It's a hard time, and everyone's feeling it in different ways. And I know a lot of folks are reluctant to tune into a political convention right now or to politics in general. Believe me, I get that. But I am here tonight because I love this country with all my heart, and it pains me to see so many people hurting. I've met so many of you. I've heard your stories. And through you, I have seen this country's promise. And thanks to so many who came before me, thanks to their toil and sweat and blood, I've been able to live that promise myself. That's the story of America. All those folks who sacrificed and overcame so much in their own times because they wanted something more, something better for their kids. There's a lot of beauty in that story. There's a lot of pain in it too a lot of struggle and injustice and work left to do. And who we choose as our president in this election will determine whether or not we honor that struggle and chip away at that injustice and keep alive the very possibility of finishing that work. I am one of a handful of people living today who have seen firsthand the immense weight and awesome power of the presidency. And let me once again tell you this, the job is hard. It requires clear-headed judgment, a mastery of complex and competing issues, a devotion to facts and history, a moral compass, and an ability to listen, and an abiding belief that each of the 330 million lives in this country has meaning and worth. A president's words have the power to move markets. They can start wars or broker peace. They can summon our better angels or awaken our worst instincts. You simply cannot fake your way through this job. As I've said before, being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Well, a presidential election can reveal who we are, too. And four years ago, too many people chose to believe that their votes didn't matter. Maybe they were fed up. Maybe they thought the outcome wouldn't be close. Maybe the barriers felt too steep, whatever the reason. In the end, those choices sent someone to the Oval Office who lost the national popular vote by nearly 3 million votes. In one of the states that determined the outcome, the winning margin averaged out to just two votes per precinct. Two votes. And we've all been living with the consequences. When my husband left office with Joe Biden at his side, we had a record-breaking stretch of job creation. We'd secured the right to health care for 20 million people. We were respected around the world, rallying our allies to confront climate change. And our leaders had worked hand-in-hand -hand with scientists to help prevent an Ebola outbreak from becoming a global pandemic. Four years later, 
The state of this nation is very different. More than 150,000 people have died, and our economy is in shambles because of a virus that this president downplayed for too long. It has left millions of people jobless. Too many have lost their health care. Too many are struggling to take care of basic necessities like food and rent. Too many communities have been left in the lurch to grapple with whether and how to open our schools safely. Internationally, we've turned our back, not just on agreements forged by my husband, but on alliances championed by presidents like Reagan and Eisenhower. And here at home, as George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered, stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office. Because whenever we look to this White House for some leadership or consolation or any semblance of steadiness, what we get instead is chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy. Empathy. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes. The recognition that someone else's experience has value too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment, we reach out. Because there, but for the grace of God, go I. It is not a hard concept to grasp. It's what we teach our children. And like so many of you, Barack and I have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. They see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. They see an entitlement that says only certain people belong here. That greed is good and winning is everything because as long as you come out on top, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And they see what happens when that lack of empathy is ginned up into outright disdain. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Sadly, this is the America that is on display for the next generation. A nation that's underperforming not simply on matters of policy, but on matters of character. And that's not just disappointing, it's downright infuriating. 
because I know the goodness and the grace that is out there in households and neighborhoods all across this nation. And I know that regardless of our race, age, religion, or politics, when we close out the noise and the fear and truly open our hearts, we know that what's going on in this country is just not right. This is not who we want to be. So what do we do now? What's our strategy? Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works. Because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. We degrade ourselves. We degrade the very causes for which we fight. But let's be clear. Going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty. Going high means taking the harder path. It means scraping and clawing our way to that mountaintop. Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God. And if we want to survive, we've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold hard truth. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. If we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man, guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. 
and he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. When he was a kid, Joe's father lost his job. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter, and when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair, which is why he gives his time so freely to grieving parents. Joe knows what it's like to struggle, which is why he gives his personal phone number to kids overcoming a stutter of their own. His life is a testament to getting back up, and he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up to help us heal and guide us forward. Now, Joe is not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that. But there is no perfect candidate, no perfect president, and his ability to learn and grow, we find in that the kind of humility and maturity that so many of us yearn for right now. Because Joe Biden has served this nation his entire life without ever losing sight of who he is. But more than that, he has never lost sight of who we are, all of us. Joe Biden wants all of our kids to go to a good school, see a doctor when they're sick, live on a healthy planet. And he's got plans to make all of that happen. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like, to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. And if we want a chance to pursue any of these goals, any of these most basic requirements for a functioning society, we have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, Folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. They're purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters, and they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new. But this is not the time to withhold our votes in protest or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. We have got to vote like we did in 2008 and 2012. We've got to show up with the same level of passion and hope for Joe Biden. We've got to vote early, in person if we can. We've got to request our mail-in ballots right now, tonight, and send them back immediately, and follow up to make sure they're received and then make sure our friends and families do the same. We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks, pack a brown bag, dinner, and maybe breakfast too, because we've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to. Look, we have already sacrificed so much this year. 
so many of you are already going that extra mile. Even when you're exhausted, you're mustering up unimaginable courage to put on those scrubs and give our loved ones a fighting chance. Even when you're anxious, you're delivering those packages, stocking those shelves, and doing all that essential work so that all of us can keep moving forward. Even when it all feels so overwhelming, working parents are somehow piecing it all together without childcare. Teachers are getting creative so that our kids can still learn and grow. Our young people are desperately fighting to pursue their dreams. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our consciences, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. This is who we still are, compassionate, resilient, decent people whose fortunes are bound up with one another. And it is well past time for our leaders to once again reflect our truth. So it is up to us to add our voices and our votes to the course of history, echoing heroes like John Lewis who said, when you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. That is the truest form of empathy. Not just feeling, but doing. Not just for ourselves or our kids, but for everyone, for all our kids. And if we wanna keep the possibility of progress alive in our time, if we wanna be able to look our children in the eye after this election, we have got to reassert our place in American history. And we have got to do everything we can to elect my friend Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Thank you.